Hello and welcome back to Waking Up With Mel. This is episode number seven. And I'm calling this one Waking Up to Laurel Canyon. To me, this canyon is where it all starts. So I'm going to start this podcast with an interview I found on YouTube. I'll put the link in the description box and it will just get us started on what is Laurel Canyon. That Laurel Canyon was actually the true birthplace, really, of the whole 60s counterculture, the music scene, and, you know, the whole hippie flower child thing. So obviously, most people, well, there's, there's two major misconceptions that people have about, you know, hippie flower child, the whole countercultural movement in the 60s, which was the biggest countercultural movement in uh, U.S. history. And the two misconceptions are, number one, that the, the hippies, and the anti-war movement were one and the same, that they were synonymous, and that's clearly not true, that the anti-war movement was already well in underway uh, before the hippies appeared on the scene, and many of the original anti-war activists uh, did not look on the hippies too kindly at all. In fact, I have, I have quotes from people saying, where did these people come from? What is this, an intelligence operation? You know? mm-hmm. So that's the first misconception. The second one is that it, that it really kind of all started in uh, the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco, which is also not true. It actually started right here in L.A., right in Laurel Canyon, which sits right above uh, the Sunset Strip, where all the clubs are that all these bands originally got their start in. Like late 1964, early 1965, right here in uh, the Laurel Canyon neighborhood of Los Angeles, which is a portion of the Hollywood Hills, which is a very, now anyway, is a very, very exclusive, very, very wealthy neighborhood. And it's uh, also a very geographically and socially isolated uh, neighborhood. It's sort of a little island into itself up there. There's really only one way in and out on Laurel Canyon Boulevard to get up into there, and it's just very rustic, heavily wooded, very, very serene, yet vaguely ominous when you know its history. Right. A uh, section of L.A. where uh, where this whole music and countercultural scene w- was born here, right, right here in my backyard, and I had no idea. And as Dave just said, that is the funny thing about the canyon, is a lot of people have no idea w- what that place is, that it's even there. I mean, I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, so that's pretty much in my backyard too and this canyon gets deep now dave kind of starts with the music scene in the 1960s which is super super interesting and we'll get there but let's talk about how the canyon started to begin with like how did all these people end up there from what i can find it looks like no one's really on that mountain until about 1908 and then lookout mountain park and water company purchased 280 acres on Lookout Mountain. So it's just West Laurel Canyon. And they subdivided and marketed as mountain vacation properties. So on August 14, 1908, Los Angeles Times announced that the company would build Lookout Mountain Inn at the summit of Lookout Mountain. And this uh, inn is later purchased, and this is when Hollywood starts to get involved by a man named Tom Mix, and he was a silent movie star. And I did a little tiny bit of research on him just because I wanted just to see where he came from. And he's associated with John Wayne, who John Wayne's real name is... Okay, I'm likely going to screw up his name, but I want to... M-A-R-I-O-N, Robert Mitchell Morrison. So, Wayne. 
Um, so Robert Mitchell, John the Duke Wayne. I find that very interesting that his last name was Morrison because the Morrison tie you're going to, we're going to find later on in this canyon. So things to me seem to get pretty deep by the 1940s because that's when Walt Disney and the United States Air Force decided to establish Lookout Mountain. And so, um, okay, not just the mountain because the mountain's already there, but this compound on the mountain. So let's talk about this compound. So it's on Wonderland Avenue in Hollywood Hills. It's still there to this day. And surprise, surprise, a Hollywood actor just bought it. It's an eight bedroom, 12 bathroom compound. It was built in the early 1940s. The exterior is a little drab, this article says, and there is nothing particularly remarkable about the appearance. But the complex, once known as Lookout Mountain, has inc incredible history. Between 1947 and 1969, some of Hollywood's most talented scriptwriters, Moon Landing, producers, Steven Spielberg, editors and directors made fervent journeys to this place to work on top secret project filming and nuclear explosions. Surprise, surprise. The United States Air Force established Lookout Mountain in 1947 in order to produce movies and photographs of nuclear tests. It was a full service military and civilian filmmakers would, uh, and okay, sorry. It was a full service facility. Military and civilian filmmakers would head to test sites in Nevada desert or Pacific Islands and capture footage of exploding bombs and bring it back to Laurel Canyon for editing and post-production. The facility was equipped with a soundstage, screening rooms, film storage vaults, and naturally a bomb shelter. During its 22 years of operation, Lookout Mountain Laboratory produced approximately 6,500 classified films for the Department of Defense and the Atomic Energy Commission. Documenting nuclear test series such as Operation Greenhouse, Operation Teapot, Operation Buster Jangle, the compound has since been converted into an eight-bedroom, 12-bathroom residence. In January, Variety reported that Jared Leto has purchased the former top-secret studio for $5 million. So this studio is where Marilyn Monroe filmed, where Elvis Presley filmed. This is where propaganda was admittedly filmed to get people to get down with war and get down with whatever they wanted. Vaccines. I mean, this is how the whole thing started. You look back on these articles, Google it. Elvis Presley getting his jab of polio. Marilyn Monroe, get your polio. And here we are, get your COVID, get your booster. I mean, it's all propaganda and it's nothing new under the sun. I can't believe it. Sometimes when I watch it, I'm like, wow, people still buy this. We have not gotten smarter over the years, I don't feel like. I feel like by 2022, they really have, have done a good job of people being so brainwashed with these movie stars, like they're something special when they're not. If you are rich and you are famous, you have sold your soul, one, and that sounds so like, <laughs> whatever, but seriously, they have pledged allegiance to, to the demonic side, and they will do whatever they can for rich riches and fame and that, and that's all they care about they don't care about who they hurt and what they're doing in the process and if they do and they start to speak up they get suicided 
it's it's well known in Hollywood. And I truly believe the truth is going to come out about all this very, very soon. But until it does, it's our job to expose the root of it. And to me, the canyon is the root of all of this. So it starts with propaganda films. It starts with, you know, Walt Disney selling out, you know, working with the military. And this is what's crazy about all of this is the military and all fashions have been involved in this whole, this, all of this, because every single person that was brought into that canyon had a military mother, not mother, usually father, uh, maybe sometimes mother, I haven't really looked that deep, but usually father. And all these kids were born and raised in military families and backgrounds. And I'm not saying all the military is bad, but I appreciate the military and I love the military, but I just find it very, very interesting that we got that common thread. And so where I find this really gets interesting is in the 60s with the counterculture because holy cow, they I really truly believe they've invented so many fear tactics. And we'll get deep into this. I think the next podcast I do, we'll talk about kidnapping John Walsh, um, legal kidnapping about this kid named Jonah. Um, because I even feel like those shows weren't as real as we think. I don't believe serial killers as are as real as we think. And Charles Manson's going to get involved in this little Laurel Canyon. Yeah, he's involved in the Canyon too. Surprise, surprise. And I truly believe like, if you look into Ted Bundy, like he has a ton, I keep saying like, sorry guys, he has a ton of um, political associations. So it's, these people aren't just nobodies. It's very interesting. Char and a lot of them, like Marilyn Monroe and Charles Manson, all these kids were kind of born and raised in the system and foster care uh, in prison system. Like I believe Charles Manson's mother had him in prison, if I'm not mistaken. So they have a lot of state control over them their entire lives. They're easy to manipulate and abuse. And it's very, very unfortunate. And I really hope redemption comes on a lot of these people. Um, because I do believe that people who still to this day are worshipped um, are not good people. And people who are demonized, like Charlie Manson, are better people than we think. And I did a ton of research about him since we're on the topic real quick. And man, that poor guy, they drugged him every single time to put him out. He tried to tell people the truth a few times. I didn't realize he was a really good musician. I didn't realize he ended up in the canyon. I didn't realize he, he sold his music to the Beach Boys and was asking for money for his music when he was blamed for the Wonderland killings where he didn't even kill anybody. Supposedly his cult. I mean, you know how easy it would be to to make something up in the media, spread it, and you're done. I mean, what do you do? <laughs> you can't say, you know, and then they you get put on TV and you're all drugged up and look like a complete jackass, moron, you know, psycho. And people were not awake back then. So he, you know, he didn't get a fair shot. And that's a whole podcast on its own. But he's just a part of Laurelwood Canyon. And where I feel like this whole thing kind of gets started, like, like, in my generation is with the doors and all that stuff, because that's music I listen to that stuff that, you know, people that I, I 
still know like oh you know have the posters up still or like still admire these people and not understanding like the depth of of their job so to speak and so just real quickly about him his dad um let's get his name full all right so his name was george and george morrison he started and this is a proven fact. You can look it up yourself, guys. Always look up stuff. Always try to prove me wrong, okay? Because I'm not here to be right. I'm just here to be like, hey, did you know? So his dad started the Vietnam War. Yes. How did he do that? It's called the false flag. If you, Maybe I should do a whole podcast on that as well. But what's false fla- what false flags are, are sometimes are incidents that didn't even really happen that were reported to have happened. Or sometimes there are incidents that really have happened that have hurt people at, to start or incite emotion to start a war. Like 9-11 is what's coming to my mind right away. Because that wasn't necessarily a false flag. It really happened, right? Like those buildings really went down. But did they go down the way they said they went down? And why did they go down? And who brought them down? And did they do it for a reason to start a war in a country that had nothing to do with those two, those towers, the Pentagon and that other financial building in New York going down that day. No, that was an inside job by our own government. And we'll have to do a podcast about that too. Man, podcast galore. See, we could do podcasts for the rest of our lives and never run out of topics. I promise you that. So when Jim Morrison's dad started Vietnam War, guess who started the counterculture with the doors? His son, who happens to be this musically talented guy no he really wasn't guys he wasn't very talented he was pushed by the media and the media bought it hook line and seeker oh look at this guy and back then guess what they taught people to to drop out to drop out of who cares yeah it was an inside job to get people to go to fight each other either for the warrior or against the warrior kids turn in hippie because it's the same thing. Now our kids are so influenced by the, they, them crap because of who knows who is influencing. It's, it, it's nothing new under the sun. People are so easily influenced for some reason. And so here we are. We got the counterculture purposely being orchestrated by the same people who are purposely starting a war, who are purposely getting our kids killed. It's just nuts, right? And that just spirals. And then you get the Frank, you get Frank Zappa moving in there. And that guy, whew, I went down a little. Did you know he named his kid Amit and Dweezel and Moon? That just tells you a little bit about the guy. I kind of feel like he tried to speak up a little bit towards the end, but that guy, he was not my opinion very uh sweet a lot of dark stuff went down in his house as a matter of fact that the inn that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast he lived there eventually and it burned down mama and papas came from there Joni mitchell came from there all these people had military backgrounds we're gonna hit listen to a little bit more of what um dave mcgowan says about the canyon and this time era what did Admiral George Morrison have to play in the Gulf of Tonkin? Well, I mean, by necessity, he was a key conspirator because the ships were under his command. He was the commanding officer. He controlled those two ships. So, I mean, any it, this whole this whole thing could not have been fabricated without his full and complete cooperation. Obviously, I mean, he had to be fully on board 
the scam, and he was the main man there in the, uh, you know, in the theater of operations. So obviously he had to be on board this scam that drew America into the Vietnam quagmire. And uh, at that very same time, I mean, absolutely simultaneous with those events, this whole music scene started to take shape, like, virtually overnight in Laurel Canyon, and all these bands that were to become superstars, uh, we had the Birds, uh, Buffalo Springfield, The Doors, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, uh, the Mamas and the Papas, they were sort of the, the first uh, wave of bands, and then they were followed by many, many others after that, but they were the right. first wave, and uh, one of the very first people on that scene, you know, in late 64, early 65, was, of course, the uh, infamous Jim Morrison, uh, lead singer of The Doors, who is, <laughs> small world that it is, the son of Admiral George Stephen Morrison. Right, what a coincidence. Well, yeah, I mean, is that just bizarre or what? That, that the, while the father is over actively collaborating and constructing this hoax that will be used to escalate the war, at the very same time, the son is over here positioning himself, positioning himself to become this great uh, icon of the peace and love generation. Right, the Pied Piper. King, uh, Mr. Mojo Ryzen, he had quite a few labels that he uh, attached <laughs> to himself. You know, I always felt intuitively, Dave, that the hippies and the flower power kids that were all, to me, you know, I was in my early 20s, I just thought they were really dirty, you know, I, I separated myself from them big time. But I always felt that they were set up to actually quash the anti-war movement, especially with all the drugs and Timothy Leary, you know, tune in, drop out, you know, and all of this. It was more like they were leading people down a path away from the anti-war movement to just get stoned and not give a damn. So the Beach Boys, I mean, the list goes on of the people that have came out of this canyon. And the whole point, really, of this podcast is there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, in the 1950s, they brought over all the Nazi scientists from World War II. They had such a huge part in the propaganda of it. It's even admitted in, um, in, in Disney's part. I mean... They got people brainwashed through television and news to accomplish the mission, right? And that's where we're at today, guys. That's basically where we are at today. Nothing new under the sun. I should have called it waking up with nothing new under the sun today because they have been doing this since the 1940s in a canyon in California where they have done what they're doing now we need to stop fighting about all this stuff we need to wake up to the fact that anybody who is famous was put there and you know i was going to start this podcast and i was going to do this podcast about billy graham because a long long time ago i heard this sad rumor that he was a 33 degree mason and then I started looking at who he was hanging out with, and it was all the Masons, you know, all the ex-presidents, Nixon, all that stuff. And I'm like, hmm, you are who you hang out with. And then I heard his accuser, and I actually 
have the clip here because I, I think people need to hear her. Um, you, it's your choice if you believe her or not, but there's a reason she hasn't been sued by the Grams. And I just, I don't know. I have a problem because his son, Franklin Graham, who's still living today, who is still, you know, is a supposed Christian. I hope he is. I don't know. I don't know his heart, but he used to come to a church I used to go to the one that I gave my life back to Jesus in Calvary in Albuquerque, huge church who, by the way, took a million dollars of PPE loans, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I try not, I don't want to talk bad about God's people. I really like this actually hurts my heart, but it's the truth and it sucks that it is the truth. So anyways, he would come to our church and he would talk about, um, you know, how he would get, we as a community would get together all these boxes for children. And then one day he took a picture of himself in Portland, Oregon in front of Voodoo Donuts pedophile sign, right when someone was coming out in, in the public papers and stuff about how this was a trafficking place. And then he takes a picture in front of the sign and says, these are killer donuts. You can Google this, look it up yourself. And I was heartbroken. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You aren't that stupid. There's no way. And this lady, Fiona Barnett is her name. She lives in Australia. Her, she had, she had a website. I don't know if it's still there. It's called pedos down under. Um, she called them out on Twitter. She was like, you know what? How dare you basically? I mean, you have to read it all. It's all available. You guys, you can look this all up online yourself. But I remember watching this go down lifetime and I was just like, this is, this is too much. And the thing about Twitter and the thing about these people that are involved with this satanic ritual abuse and with these trafficking of children and all this horrid stuff that, you know, it's hard for me to even fathom that happens. They, they flaunt it in our faces. And Twitter was one of their main ways. Twitter back in like the, when it started and then like the, oh gosh, when I started looking at it, it was like 2015 to 20 ish. They had the most disgusting, vile pictures on there. And I remember, I think it was the Q phenomenon saying their symbols will be their downfall and they really will because they love to do their symbols to each other. They cover the one eye, the, the Illuminati triangle symbol. They love it. Y'all, they love it. And so I'm going to play you a little clip. And this is total, not even Laurelwood Canyon, but it's, this is Californian. And I guess why I'm bringing up Billy Graham is one, because he should be brought up. I mean, this isn't just music industry. This is anybody who is pushed by the media. And surprise, surprise, Billy Graham was pushed by a man with a pretty colorful background who owned a newspaper. Why would he pick him? I don't know. But he did. So anyways, let's listen to what Fiona has to say. You know, and the, uh, the Attorney General was there. So, and there was a lot of people, a lot of people from the Labor Party um, of pedophiles back then. Um, you know, most of Gough Whitlam's cabinet would have been complicit in some way. Um, I recognize, you know, it was Kim Beasley Sr. He was the coordinator. He's been linked to the CIA. We've had Steve McMurray did some brilliant research that you can find on the McMurray report and he found all these links. It was after he heard my story that he went looking for some, you know, evidence 
to back up what I was saying. And he just, everywhere he turned, he found evidence and found links between the CIA and Kim Beasley Senior, who was the Federal Education Minister, but he was head of child trafficking in Australia. He was the international coordinator. His son went to Bohemian Grove with Bob Carr, who's a, a named pedophile by a number of victims now. Um, he's another politician. You know, they went to Bohemian Grove in 2012 and taxpayers money and I can tell you all that happens at Bohemian Grove is Luciferian rituals and pedophiles parties and pedophile hunts um, uh, there was um, you know a lot of you know famous sports figures uh, you know famous entertainers famous I mean really in Australia I don't think you make it in Australia unless you are somehow connected to this pedophile network because I tell you now they're just everywhere in Australia I, I it's a pedocracy over here. Wow. Um, I, you know, you you wouldn't in Australia really want to aspire to be an actress or a, you know, or you know, a top surgeon or, a, you know, anything over here in politics. You know, you just you just don't really make it unless you compromise morally, compromise and turn a blind eye to what's going on because there's no way you can be up the top and not get a whiff of this. You know, your police commissioners. I mean, there was a police commissioner that was involved, um, John Avery, when I was young. Um, yeah, so that's how what happened. And um, while I was in Canberra, I was actually assaulted by President Richard Nixon in the back of he. he uh, we've got Fairbairn Airport down there. It's a military airport, and that's where Air Force One would land if it came to Australia. And it was after he uh, was president, but he. Um, he was in Australia and he was in this unmarked military plane and there was a bed in the back of the plane. So I was assaulted there. It's getting her drove me there actually. And um, and then he recommended me to America. So next thing I was trafficked to America via a cargo plane from Sydney Airport and um, I was taken to Bohemian Grove, um, which is, you know, as I've if you read about um, Judge Scalia and his death, I'm the one who um, found did all the research behind that and gave it to David Scherter. And that is um, Scalia um, died at Red Boy Ranch, um, a Texan ranch, which was used for pedophile hunts. And the people who hunt there, they hunt children. And they've, they've done this in Australia. I was a witness and participated in one of the hunts as a, as a victim, but I, I wasn't the one being hunted, there's kids around me that are being hunted. But they love it. This is what the Nazis used to do and my step-grandfather used to do. They used to love these hunts in Nazi Germany. If you can imagine, they used to hunt the Jew Jewish kids all the time, let them off in the forest and, you know, give them so much time and then just go after them and shoot them. Wow. And, um, so so they're, they're not even going after animals, they go after human beings. I mean, would they eventually oh, try yeah. to kill them? Yeah. Or? And, and then sometimes, you know, they might rape them or they might rape a dead body. A lot of them are into necrophilia and, you know, anything goes. And, um, yeah, they would... Uh, so the Bohemian Grove is connected to um, an ancient hunting group and who used to hunt kids. You know, people think that they're just hunting birds and whatever, wildlife. They're not. It comes from an ancient tradition, Luciferian tradition of hunting children and hunting people. And they love it. It's like the Hunger Games. And, um, yeah, you, so Bohemian Grove, you know, I, 
Sorry. I was going to say, you've got some other interesting uh, names on here in, in terms of Americans. You've got Pastor uh, Billy Graham, you've got Ted Turner, who, which to us yeah. really doesn't surprise us. Maybe you can get into that a little bit. Yeah, well, <clears throat> there's a number of others. I mean, I, I, you know, people think I just make new stuff up. I don't. I, you've got to remember, I spent all of my childhood in this and um, most the early parts of my teen years. So there's years and years and years of this stuff that's happened. And really, I, I it's only when I see someone on telly or this or that, the famous ones I remember the best. If if I only had, say, you know, one day's you know, experience with them or something like that. Um, and the brain actually, the memory for trauma is more vivid than just average things in life. You know, you remember those sorts of things a bit better. So it, it plants in your memory a bit better, even if you dissociate from it. You know, when it comes back, it's vivid. So I was trafficked to um, Bohemian Grove and I remember there a uh, people dressed up in... Uh, black robes and Ku Klux Klan style robes but they're black and it's funny I was told that when I did the drawings and I handed them to my researcher he says actually you drew the American style robes because Australian has different sort of robes you guys got pointier longer hats and all this sort of thing it's just a sharper sort of line and I captured that in some of my draw therapy drawings and um, anyway I um, so I was made to dress up as a teddy bear and uh, we had a teddy bear's picnic in, in the Bohemian Grove in the big redwoods and uh, they dressed all the kids up as teddy bears and played this haunting music, um, teddy bear's picnic, you know, when you go down in the woods today, you know, and it was creepy as all hell and black and dark and everything and they hunted for us and, uh, you know, they'd rape the kids when they found them or kill them or whatever they did, I don't even know, but I hid and they didn't find me and they thought that was, that was amusing actually. Um, I was very good at hiding. Um, because I, well, I had, you know, I was trained to hide, so I don't know. But in, there was, I remember a themed room, and it was the pink bubble room. And uh, I was dressed up in this, Bohemian Grove, dressed up in, in um, as Candy Girl in this Shirley Temple outfit. And everything I had on was pink, and I had paint and sh leather shoes and all this on. And uh, my hair was done up like Shirley Temple, you know, in pigtails and all that. And I was sent in, and it was a pink bubble room, and it had all this plastic blow-up type furniture and uh, real weird sort of some weird pink shagadelic rug and um, there was blue pink balloons everywhere and all this sort of thing and in there was Billy Graham and he came out and he gave he says oh hello and he was all very sleazy and charming and he gave me a drink uh, which was like a pink um, sort of like champagne with a triangular shaped glass and um, like a martini glass thing, and um, and it was pink. And he says he gave it to me to drink, and it was sweet. And of course, it was laced. Anyway, he he started talking about his friend Richard, and he said, "Oh, you know, I hear you like to please men, and you're a good girl, and all this sort of thing." Well, next thing I'm drugged, and Billy Graham likes to rug, rape drugged little girls. So he's nothing but a dirty, filthy pedophile. He is not a Christian. He's a piece of filth. And I actually know. Uh, another victim of his, but she doesn't go around talking about it. She's American, and okay. um, you know we've had a few chats and things. So it's and I know that there's other victims of Billy Graham. There's one woman that I, I put an article up about that she'd written about being a victim of Billy Graham in America, and but um, this person in particular it was just good to talk to someone who you know had been a victim as well of him. 
and um, just validates, you know, your feelings about it all. And, yeah, and then I was... So I, that was the main things that I remember at Bohemian Grove. And then that was the main things that I remember at Bohemian Grove. And then after that, I was taking Disney World on the way home. And, oh, I just remember they did a bit of MK Ultra programming there. Um, at Disney World? Yes, they... See, Disney... Disney... Walt Disney was a pedophile. And uh, Disneyland was actually built not just as a theme park, but as a part of the MK Ultra uh, program. And um, they use it, see, when they close the park, they use it for pedophile parties and for MK Ultra programming. And see, we, we the programming has lots of Disney themes in it. So, you know, Snow White and Tinkerbell and you know, Alice in Wonderland and, you know, Wizard of Oz and all this sort of stuff, all these weird, wonderful things. Uh, uh, and, you know, your cartoon figures like, you know, Batman and Robin and Joker and all these sorts of things, they're all used. These are the themes they use on children. And so when they play the movies, like Fantasia, you know, is a, is a classic um, programming film, which, you know, kids like me hate, uh, brings back terrible memories of throwing up, etc. But um, that all those programs, uh, that's what they are. They're programs. They're to... So they only have to play those movies to us or we only see some something that reminds us um, in those movies. So we just have to see the outfit um, that Alice in Wonderland wore or whatever. And it, what it does is it reinforces the program and it reinforces those neural connections that they've created artificially and keeps everything else, keeps, keeps the programming active. So it's like reinforces the trauma, reminds you of the trauma, it triggers you. Just like if you've, just say you lost your child, uh, your child drowns in a pool in an accident. And, you know, if you go to that location, you'll be triggered, you know, and you can't handle being in that location. You know, it just sets you off. Um, that's what it's like. If, if we see these reminders of being absolutely brutally tortured, um, then it sets us off. And, um, and it has the desired effect on our brain. Oh, man, you guys, this is so deep. So let's take this back a full circle. Laura Wood Canyon. Disney comes. He, he's famous for Snow White. Oh, he did Snow White. Okay, ever think about how this poor guy all of a sudden had a million dollars during the Great Depression to, to fund Snow White? Who funded that? The government. Anyways, and what's Snow White about? Think about that. And why did they use it for programming? And why did they use all Disney movies for programming? And why are all Disney movies about, you know, an orphan, no mom, a dad that marries an evil woman? Like, it's just crazy programming, even if you're not in the MK Ultra program. And if you don't know what MK Ultra is, oh my gosh, we got a lot of catching up to do. But good thing you have the internet and you can Google it because it's a government program to break people's minds. And they usually do it at young, young ages and they usually pay pedophiles to do it to their own children. Hence Kathy O'Brien, who I've talked about before. Anyways, we got to end this on a little bit of light. So. For a very, very long time, since before the 1950s, a lot of people are like, oh, in the 1950s it started. No, it started way before that. It, it, it would be interesting to actually track Disney and his family to see when they came over 
because he had a huge role in the programming part of making these movies, you know, being the face of these movies to this day. That man has, a, you know, Disney World, Disneyland, where a ton of us take our children to go enjoy. When I look around, all I see is pedophile signs, and I went there once. And I was like, dang, it's this is crazy. And I wasn't even awake back then. If I went now, I don't even know if I could handle it, to be honest. But this man, it all just needs to stop. It all just needs to be taken down because from the canyon to... I, like all of this podcast was basically centralized in California. Look at all this crap that happened in California from Charles Manson and, and murder, you know, these serial killers supposedly and all this stuff. It was all orchestrated. It's all a show. It's all fake. And we all buy it like it's real. And then we have these preachers preaching stuff that are over here molesting children on the side. Like not okay. So... <laughs> I guess we should probably end this podcast because I'm a little over my time limit. But if you have the second, let's look look into that book. Look into Dave McGowan and his book, Laurel Canyon. Look into all these podcasts that I'm going to link in the description box and start to wake up to the reality that Hollywood is evil and anybody you have idolized is probably not someone you should and we need to turn back to God. So thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to this podcast tonight. It's been busy and it's been hard to get this out and I'm glad that you let me do it, Lord. And I pray that every single person I talked about has asked for forgiveness in heaven because you forgive us all and you love us all. And I just pray that people start to make the right choices in this life and that you start to expose the darkness of Hollywood because I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of what they do to children, Lord, and I just pray for these children, Lord. Heal them, protect them, free them, expose the truth so people wake up and we start to unite because I believe the one thing we will unite over is these children, and I thank you for them, Lord, and I pray for their protection. In Jesus' holy, wonderful, and mighty name.